desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. My name is George Van. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the guy that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Ben Bernanke to your Henry Paulson, except we didn't destroy the American economy. We could only be so lucky, Chris. We are sadly just two podcasters instead. One day we'll have that type of power, Paul. I hope so. I I hear that doing a paranormal commentary podcast uh, does bring lots of power and wealth. Yes, yes. Do you, would you prefer to be the chairman of the Federal Reserve or or the Secretary of the Treasury? Because I just naturally thought that I was more of the chairman of the Fed type, you know, kind of extraditual power, and then you were kind of more the centrist part of the establishment. I'll take that. I'm much more establishment than you. Yeah, for sure. Which I think we're probably going to find out today, Chris, because we are going to be talking about some ancient archaeology and anthropology, which I know is right up your alley. Oh, dude, you are singing my tune, dude. If we're talking about Nephilim or ancient angels or uh, maybe giants. We're going to be talking giants and Nephilim today. Yes. So this is going to be a George Norrie interview with Mark Carpenter from January 25th, 2022. Mark is a self-described rogue cultural anthropologist who studies giants. What a cool job title. It's not a bad job title to give to yourself. Rogue cultural anthropologist. I'm just going to start putting rogue in my job title from here on out. <laughs> it just adds a little flair to whatever it you're doing. It adds so much flavor to it. It's incredible. Man, and I, I had to go in deep on this one. I had to start pulling some scripture out. I had to look at the original Hebrew translations to figure yes. out some of these words. Yes. So we're going to go in deep on giant lore today. Yes, yes. It's the only way to do giant lore, dude, is to go to the ancient texts. <laughs> That's how we got to find out about the giants. But before we get to that, we got to go check in with Tim Banal at the Coast to Coast AM blog. Tim Tam. Paul, can I just say real quick, I am disappointed that Coast to Coast hasn't stolen that moniker. You Maybe they will. Maybe they will. They, Tim I mean, Time? So here's the thing. Was Tim it no Benol, good? I think yeah. Tim Time is so good. I think so. I think so too. But I think it's more of an audio thing because if he's just posting articles, it's not necessarily Tim Time because you right. can access it at any point. Right, right. But it's you a specific be, point of our we're, we're a Yeah, we're a listening point. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay, go. Go to Timmy. All right, so today's article. Drunk Russian man arrested while attempting to steal Lenin's body. Wait, Lenin like the Soviet dictator Lenin? The Lenin. Wow, V.I. Lenin, dude. Vladimir Lenin. Let's go. All right, so from the article. In a bizarre story out of Russia, authorities arrested an intoxicated man who was trying to steal the mummified body of USSR founder Vladimir Lenin. Paul, the uh, the thing for me is, is there ever a story that isn't strange that comes out of Russia? They come out of Russia and someone is always drunk because this happened last week, too. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Always drunk. Always strange. And they really do just have Lenin's body out on display for everyone to see i didn't realize it was still out but apparently it it's is it's still out dude of course they're still soviets at the end of the day dude it right, so was a part of the kgb that's true that's true he was the strange incident reportedly occurred earlier this week when the would-be grave robber climbed over a barrier surrounding the tomb wherein the revered soviet leader's remains are on public display bada bing his attempts at opening the doors of the mausoleum, which happened to be closed at the time, were quickly thwarted by security guards who swooped in and took him into custody, whereupon he revealed his audacious plan. He just told the security guards, I was going to steal Lennon's mummified body. This kind of reminds me of that guy who broke into Pelosi's house 
And when the police were interviewing after the fact, he was just like, yeah, I was just going to like kidnap her and like, you know, hit her, hit her with a hammer. Like, why are you telling the cops this? How dumb are you? Uh, Cause you're insane. Right. Yeah. Cause it, you're crazy. It, you're person. not, you're not thinking clearly, obviously, what are you going to do with the mummified remains of Vladimir Lenin, the first Soviet premier? I have no idea. I have no idea. I guess put it on display in your living room. Like, yeah, that's just Lennon's corpse. That's Lennon's corpse. You can say I'm a pretty cool guy because I have that. You put him in a coffin and then set your TV on top of it. That's your entertainment center. No, dude. You sit him in like a lazy boy, put a beer in his hand, and like a cigarette out of his mouth. Also, kind of a weekend at Bernie's. Right. A weekend, a weekend at Lennon's. <laughs> All right. So back to the article. When asked why he wanted to steal Lennon's body, the man was unable to provide any explanation for the ill-advised caper and was at a loss as to how he had come up with the idea in the first place. It just, all of a sudden, I was in the middle of stealing this body and I didn't really ask any questions, (laughs) officer. To that end, it was soon determined that the man's misadventure had been fueled by proverbial liquid courage as he indicated that the last thing he could recall was drinking with a friend before he came to his senses in police custody. <laughs> and another one of our Tim Banal stories ends in the truth. Drunkenness or getting very high leads to hijinks. <laughs> Authorities subsequently remanded him to psychiatric treatment for alcoholism, where one imagines he might be rather sheepish should fellow patients ask him how he wound up there. My God, the whole society has to be in treatment for alcoholism. Well, I think that almost could give you some street cred. You know, hey, how'd you end up here? Like when when you're in like an AA meeting and you're like, well, I got drunk and I tried to steal Lennon's body. Like, that's a crazy story. That's a crazy story. And I feel like most Russians would respect that immensely. Yeah, like, yeah, man, I feel that. What were you going to do with the body? I don't know. Just kind of prop them up in my living room. I, I love that he blacked it out, too. Like, he told the cops he was stealing Lennon's body, and then he doesn't come to until he's in the police station. <laughs> he's like, how did I get here? <laughs> what Officer, why am I here? You tried to steal Lennon's body. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> That's not too far off. That sounds about right, officer. All right, so that was today's article. Now for some quick housekeeping. We housekeeping. We have an email address. Send your thoughts and episode requests to c2cpmpod at gmail.com. If you like the show, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and smash that subscribe button. We drop every Thursday, and that'll make sure you never miss an episode. And you guys can, like, just say hi. Just say hello. Also, You don't have to request anything. Just say what's up. What's going on? What are you doing listening to the episode? Yeah, we're we're happy to respond. We respond to all messages, so please uh, send your thoughts or vibes in. We run on positive vibes. You cleaning the house? Doing some laundry? What's up? All right, any other housekeeper points? No, that's it. All right. So to today's episode, George Norris' interview with Mike Carpenter, the rogue cultural anthropologist. Georgie Porgy, I'm so excited to be hearing from him, dude. It's been a little bit. It's been we haven't done a George episode in a couple weeks now, actually. Yeah. Maybe a couple months. Yeah. Well, we did art for a while and then we just did Ian. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into it. So we're going to start off with the main point of the conversation, which is typically going to be centered around the Kennewick man. So Kennewick man. mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the Kennewick man? Kennewick man, Chris. I know nothing of the Kennewick man. Well, let's hear from George on who the Kennewick Man is. Kennewick Man and Ancient One are the names generally given to the skeletal remains of a prehistoric Paleo-American man found on a bank of the Columbia River in Kennewick, Washington, on July 28, 1996. It is one of the most complete ancient skeletons ever found. Radiocarbon tests on bone have shown it to date from 8,900 to 9,000 calibrated years before present. Wow, dude. I had, I'd never heard of the Kennewick man. Yeah, really old skeleton that we found. Why is this being suppressed, Paul? Oh, we're going to find out why it's suppressed in a bit. Don't worry. Okay, good. But it is. Oh, it's definitely being suppressed. I've never heard of it. <laughs> it actually is pretty famous. It has like a Wikipedia page and everything. It well, just, it, it happened in 96. All right, it happened in 1996, Kennewick man. All right. What'd you find out about this? All right. Well, first off, we got to ask the classic Chris. How'd you get into this? How did you get into this? 
How'd you get into that? How did you get involved in anthropology and archaeology? Well, um, it, it went back to my childhood. Um, like a lot of 80s kids, I, uh, I, I thought Indiana Jones was a very cool character. And um, my father and uh, his family had some rural land out in Ohio, in the Ohio River Valley. And there were burial mounds out there, not on our land per se. Um, but, you know, when we used to drive through, mm -hmm. I was fascinated by these burial mounds. And my father didn't really have a satisfactory explana uh, explanation. So that's kind of where it all began. One hilarious that he starts with Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, you see, Indiana Jones was pretty important to my early childhood and I figured I would, too, like to be putting glass skulls in opening arcs of the Covenant. That almost feels like the equivalent of talking to an astronaut and being like, how'd you get into this? And him being like, well, I saw Star Wars when I was a child, and I thought the Millennium Falcon was pretty sweet. Was pretty cool. So <laughs> I did a couple decades of flying airplanes for the Navy, all because of George Lucas's Star Wars A New Hope. I just really wanted to be Han Solo. How disappointed do you think he was when he got into anthropology and it was what it is, which is digging with a tiny shovel and brushing right. bones with a like, really delicate brush. And working working at the same site for four and a half years with a like 10 foot by 10 foot piece of land. And like that's all you look at for three and a half years, just every single day, just a little bit of dirt every single day and he's like i was looking for adventure well he's going to talk in a bit how he got disillusioned with anthropology and i think this may have been a big chunk of it was it was just too boring not one bullwhip amongst the whole professor crowd and no arcs of the covenant no one's face is melting off by the stuff you're finding it's no it's nazis all the nazis are dead <laughs> i don't get to fight any nazis on my anthropology all right, so next up, this is also going to really involve a lot of Smithsonian-specific conspiracies. Dude, the Smithsonian is so full of mysteries. Have you seen National Treasure? That is the only thing I could think of when he said Smithsonian conspiracies was yes, National Treasure. Dude. They're hiding the map behind the Declaration <laughs> of Independence, Paul. That's I, I actively tried to find Smithsonian conspiracies to share on the podcast because I wasn't familiar with any. Most of them are related to giants. This seems to be a giant-specific conspiracy. Really? So this isn't about the Founding Fathers. This is they are hiding giants. That is what the Smithsonian was made for. Yeah, so let's get into it because George is going to ask, you know, hey, what is, what is even the Smithsonian? What's going what? on with that? Have you heard of this thing? <laughs> the <laughs> Smithsonian? Let's talk about the Smithsonian. Tell us about that. Is it kind of like a depository of all the old relics, or what? what is that place? Yeah, that's a good question. It masquerades as this beacon of education. That's what we've always been taught that it is, and that's, that's easy to believe because that's what we, we want it. We want it to be that. That's not the reality. The, the reality is institutions like the Smithsonian, particularly the Smithsonian, were founded, um, you know, by elites, uh, the secret society, frat boy types. They were building a nation, and um, what it really became, or what it really is, is a beacon of their version of human history. I, I already love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I already love this guy, dude. The museum as an implement of propaganda for the elite is such a good idea. It's good lore. Oh my god! Here's the thing. I also I love, love his framing. I, I love his framing of the Smithsonian as a bunch of frat boys and secret society types. How many frat boys do you think are in the Smithsonian? So today, not a lot, but when it's starting, it's all frat boy types, dude. It's all skull and crossbone Yalings and Harvard bros, because what they were was they were adventurers. They were going to Africa and like 
killing thousands of animals. I'm talking about Teddy Roosevelt here in particular and sending them to the Smithsonian. You got to put them on display. The American people needed to see all these animals and their skeletons. Well, and you them. don't think they were finding other things? You don't think they were going out to Ethiopia and finding the Ark of the Covenant? I guarantee it. I, I saw someone comment on uh, like us having all these like old artifacts from other countries and it being like if someone came to America and just dug up Benjamin Franklin's body. It was like, hey, let's keep that. <laughs> that's that's our body now. <laughs> that's pretty cool. This guy was a big deal. This guy was a big, just like Japanese diplomats, yeah. just like with the, with like a, a shovel and just like at the gravesite. What are you doing? Get out of here. We're taking these artifacts back to Japan, you jabroni. We got to put them on display or people need to see it. Yes. So here, that's the thing. The whole thing, man. You cannot trust what you hear from the Smithsonian. I love this so much. Yeah. They, they collect the they collect the artifacts and the remains and the and the art and the culture and 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 the relics and everything, uh, and they may draw their own conclusions behind closed doors, but as far as they're concerned, it's it, it's a it's a mechanism by which uh, the few control the many. Um, they like this divide of information and knowledge. Uh, they they think of it as their uh, their aristocracy. Aristocracy. Thank you. Their aristocratic privilege. Okay. Again, see, absolutely th nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with the Smithsonian. Like, they got really nice museums. They're free. You can just go for free in Washington D.C. to all their museums. It's really nice. Yeah, it's a great piece of propaganda. It's excellent. It, it, it's absolutely wonderful, this fake sense of natural history and American history and aviation history. This is great. <laughs> you think they're lying about aviation history? They're propagandizing it. What, what propaganda part of aviation history? It's all propaganda, baby. It was the French that created flying. Okay. And we've been saying that it's been the American ingenuity for, you know, a century now. Well, thank you, France. We appreciate all of your hard work when it comes to aviation. Well, you can go inside like a space shuttle and stuff uh, in the Smithsonian Aeronautics Museum, which is pretty That's cool. It's very cool. Hey, listen, yeah. wonderful propaganda. It's, it's high class, beautiful propaganda. But at the end of the day, he's right. It's all propaganda. Just don't say that we didn't go to space, Chris, because it's going to really make George mad. I, don't, I think we did go to space. Okay. As long as we got that, we went to the that, moon. It was still propaganda that we went to space, right? Like we still used it to beef up our sense of superiority in the world. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that like most, pretty much everything the government says then is propaganda. Yes. Thank you. All right. So here's the other thing. Not only can we not trust the Smithsonian, we yeah, also can't trust any archaeologists. Not one. Not one single archaeologist. Pretty much none. Okay. None of them. Unless the word rogue is in front of their title. Ooh. Then that's cool. I'm That's right. That's the only nomenclature I will respect from now on is rogue X. Yeah, I want a, a rogue doctor as well whenever I go get a, a physical. Exactly. Exactly. We've got the INAH, which is the National Institute of Anthropology and History. They're essentially the Mexican Smithsonian. They were uh, funding this dig dollar for, on a dollar-for-dollar dollar matched basis with the Rockefeller Foundation. That's pretty extensive. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Rockefeller Foundation and the Smithsonian and National Geographic and UNESCO, these are all tentacles of the same creature. Well, because, uh, because it, it impacts the human history narrative. Which they, they, which they want us to believe their narrative. Yes, yes, exactly. So all those tentacles, what is the central creature? The central creature is a, is apparently the concept that they want to destroy God. 
in American society is what he's ultimately getting at. All these tentacles are out there trying to remove God from the world. And then that way capitalism can continue to perpetuate itself is ultimately where this, this guy is going with his argument. So he's, he's saying that it's like a cult of mammon essentially that they're worshiping materialism Mm -hmm. and trying to kill God. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And so why do they have to go after our history in order to do that? Because giants are real. And therefore that would point to the old Testament being true, which they don't want to do. So they're going after specifically giant history and trying to remove it so that people don't think that the old Testament was real. So there are still giants around today. Yes, there are. We'll get to that. We'll get to okay. that. He, he does think that there are still giants. Where are they located? We'll get, okay. <laughs> we'll, right, we'll sorry. Get there. Uh, no, I'm excited. I'm no excited. spoilers. No spoilers. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. So that's basically what's happening is he's talking about how uh, capitalism is the fault of Darwin because Darwin Ooh. created Darwinism, which right. helped remove God. And then Darwinism also created social Darwinism, which helped perpetuate capitalism, which then creates materialism, which as long as we don't have a God, then we're worshiping things. And then the state is our God. This is some interesting, like, alt-right populism. Yeah, it's weird. He he goes down this very strange line of thinking that is very, like, alt-right populist. Yeah, it's like, you know, semi-pseudo-fascist almost, like, nationalist or or maybe not nationalist but maybe kind of like if it's like christian god nation you know what i mean it's kind of interesting he's got these little roots of it you can kind of feel out there almost yeah it, it does almost have like a like a christian fascism type thing going on where it's like no we need to bring god back into everything the state's trying to remove god right well and then we have a an elite power structure that has usurped and is lying to us Mm -hmm. and capitalism it is interesting that he sees capitalism as the enemy yeah because that's that's also very well and that's the thing too is i don't know if he necessarily sees capitalism as the enemy but materialism that's derived from capitalism Right. Um, it's all a little muddled. I'm not sure how well he's thought it all through. Uh, it's also interesting that, you know, every single president we've ever had has been a Christian. So I don't really know where we're getting at here when the majority of Congress is also Christian. Most of the government is ran by Christians and most of the government and most of America is Christian. Yeah, but people can say they're Christian. It doesn't mean that anything that they're actually Christians. I mean, we grew up in the South Pole. We've seen that firsthand. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a good person. Yeah, well, that I'm also being a Christian doesn't make you a good person, right? But right. you still identify as a Christian. Yeah. Like, right? Th- that's still the rea- the reality of the situation is this is a country that is predominantly Christian. Right, but the the true worship is of Mammon. Sure, but back to the point of the story. They're hiding the giants from us. I want to know more about the giants. Let's get into the giants, because I really don't give a shit about his political views. The giants are the interesting yeah, part. That's the interesting part. Um, there's been rumors and claims of a Smithsonian conspiracy, as we said, to uh, distort human history. And most of these claims revolve around the early uh, 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century discoveries of um Abnormally large skeletons. Giants. Uh, on, giants. Yeah, yeah. Giants unearthed in the burial mounds, uh, just like the ones I was speaking of earlier mm-hmm. in Marietta, the Ohio River Valley. Where did they find these giant skeletons? They're finding them in, in like ancient burial grounds, is what okay. he's saying. And there is truth to the fact that in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there were reports that giant skeletons were being found. Where? Just like in, in the like American Southwest and stuff, there there are New York Times articles you could find from like 1901 saying that people were finding giant skeletons. The thing about these reports is that they were proven to be false. They were mostly hoaxes. There were a lot of hoaxes in 1900, as you can imagine, and people would right. make plaster giant skeletons right. and then try and show them as real giant bones. And this was also a time when people believed the Bible to be literally true and that the Old Testament was literally real events, which inc- means that giants existed. So this kind of fit in with people's expectations at the time. 
Well, Paul, I wonder if it want to be a good idea to go ahead and let's let's do a little early giant lore because I could use a refresher. Like, what does the Old Testament say about giants? And like, what what would it be that these people would be believing that they could? So, like, the New York Times publishes an article mm-hmm. stating that oh, we're finding all these giant bones. Like, I feel like that's kind of a hard world for some of us to get into. Yeah, and we will talk about some of the specific points that he brings up from the Bible here in a bit. But basically what the Bible references is just casually dropping the word giants in, right? These really tall people. It's mentioned, um, I know it's mentioned in Genesis. It's mentioned um, a couple times where Moses sends out a survey expedition to, um, I believe it was the land of Canaan, and 40 of his scouts come back and say, yeah, they got a bunch of, you know, army personnel and stuff. They're really beefed up and they also got giants there. It just kind of like dropped into the Old Testament randomly. Well, wasn't Goliath and David and Goliath a giant? Yeah. And it's also said that that Goliath was a giant and he came from potentially the Nephilim, which we'll also get into here in a bit. So they just they're just kind of drop occasionally dropping that giants exist. Yeah, there's not like much. a bunch. There's not like giant lore in the Bible. There's a disappointing amount of giant uh, lore. I wish there was more giant lore. It would be like the Book of Enoch or something like that. That's where you would have to go to to learn about giants for real. Yeah, it's it's missing from uh, the main portion of the Old Testament. And one of the big things too is that in the Old Testament, biblical scholars will actually comment on the fact that we don't actually know what Nephilim are because you would have to use non-canonical books that aren't actually being used by the Jewish people anymore by Christians like the book of Enoch to actually find a definition for Nephilim. So if you are using the canonical Bible, there is no way you could even create an inference of what the Nephilim actually are. I'm all right with them using outside texts though, because they would be at least situationally correct. Yeah, very, very possibly, right? Um, and biblical textual criticism is actually something I've been getting into a lot lately. So I, I do have a little bit of knowledge here, but I'm definitely not an expert in it for sure. All right, dude. Can't wait to learn some more. We're going to get into it. So first thing off, though, before we get into any of that, the Kennewick man, in Mark's opinion, is the key to proving that giants exist. Yeah, let's get back to this, dude. I want to know more about this. So Kennewick man is the proverbial smoking gun that proves definitively here and now a Smithsonian conspiracy to distort human history by way of concealing abnormal human remains. Where are the remains as we speak? The Kennewick man's remains as we speak were allegedly repatriated to a secret location uh, back near where he was discovered uh, by an indigenous tribe. Allegedly a ceremony with 200 uh, natives and some scientists allegedly repatriated these remains uh, back in Kennewick near where they were found, allegedly. Can you tell how little he believes anything by how many times he said the word allegedly? Allegedly, yeah, right, yeah, no. He thinks it's deep within the Masonian, right? Under like six volts. He he thinks it's it's very possible. And the thing about the Kennewick Man is that it was discovered, I believe, by the U.S. Army or in conjunction with the U.S. Army who was doing like excavations and digs. And then there was this gigantic like legal battle that occurred for years between native tribes who wanted the bones back so that they could bury them and the U.S. government who wanted to keep them. And eventually right. the bones were returned ultimately. Because they had evidence of giants. Right? They're not going to just give them back to the Native Americans. You can't My just God. have the giant bones. We've taken everything from them. Why wouldn't we take giant bones from them? <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. So let's get to, to your first question, though, Chris. Where does he think the bones actually are now? You still think they're at the Smithsonian, don't you? I don't know. You know, they're, they're huh. so compromised. Um. They're so compromised. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they pulled some sort of uh, um, uh, scam there. Would this skeleton of Kennewick show us that he might have been a giant? Yes, I think so. Uh, they claim he was five foot seven, one hundred and sixty some odd pounds. Um, but I can prove definitively, and by their own evidence. 
the Smithsonian, who likes to play hide-and-seek with these bones, was suddenly caught with their pants down. And there was a, like a nine-year court case over this and all that, wasn't yes, there? Yes, exactly. Because of the controversy between uh, the government, the scientists, and the Native Americans, there was suddenly mass media interest in these bones. Yeah, the Native American tribes claim those bones were theirs, right? Yeah. Paul, the Kennewick man doesn't sound particularly tall. No, but Mark thinks that the Kennewick man was super tall. So the Masonian was lying about how tall the skeleton was. That is what he is claiming, yes. Okay. And he says he can definitively prove that the skeleton was very tall. He doesn't say how, and I can't figure out how he actually determines this. So I don't I don't even know what to potentially debunk because he doesn't go into his evidence in any what? way. So why is he saying that this is a giant? Because he just thinks it is. He just thinks it is. So let's get into some of the media coverage, right? Because he talks okay. about how the media made the Smithsonian release the pictures of the bones. And that's going to be you know pretty relevant to the conversation. They when they would normally not like to reveal these bones to anyone ever. They suddenly found themselves, you know, being hounded by powerful media journalists demanding uh, photos of these bones that they know they have. And so if you carefully examine now, now, the bone, the real bone photographs were quickly eclipsed by loads of photographs of replicas. Uh Now, they admit that they're replicas, but the trick is the devil is in the details. Those the replica skull and skeleton is quite different than those original photos. If you examine those original photos carefully, what you discover is a radically deformed skull. That's actually something that I uh, only found out recently that the vast majority of like skeletons of dinosaurs and stuff like that in museums that you go to are just replicas. They're not they're not showing you the actual bones. They're not putting actual billion-year-old bones <laughs> on display. Those are all replicas. Yeah, exactly. It's not the actual thing that they're putting out there. Because why why would you do that? They're way too why delicate. Would you do that? Right. That's insane. Yeah. So, Chris, I, I have pulled up for you the the image that he is referring to of the seriously deformed skull of the Kennewick man. Okay, now, what, it looks a little deformed. Yeah, it looks a, it elongated in the back, right? Yeah. So one of the pieces of evidence that he points to about this being a giant is that the image that they distributed of the Kennewick man had a black background with the bones on top of it. And it didn't have any sort of information about how tall it was or anything that, right. you know, there wasn't a quarter in there or like a right. in there. Now, he uses this as evidence to say that this is actually a giant. That's just something that archaeologists do because they want the static background so that you can see the image in its entirety and tell all the different pieces of bones. Uh, you can look up really any sort of skeletons. They do this for all of them, right? So this is and not they don't animal. And they don't typically put some kind of scale in it? Uh, they do sometimes, but not all the time. It's possible also that the scale had been cut out of this when they put it in the newspapers. Now, right. I also was able to find an image of this this picture being set up by the Smithsonian, where there is a woman in front of the skeleton holding the skull, so you can actually see relative to her size and her hands how big it is. And the thing is, it's not actually abnormally large. Yeah, it doesn't look crazy big. Like, yeah, it's just, when I think of a giant, I think of somebody that's like 10 feet tall. Yeah, nothing you know? about this skeleton seems abnormally large when it's next to a human. If you see it just in the one picture, like maybe you could convince yourself of that. Right. So all this to say, I'm not really buying this guy's evidence. Yeah, so far on the Kennewick, man, not loving it so far. But hopefully there's some more because, again, I really need to get giant lore, Paul. That's what I want. Let's get right into the giant lore, because one of the pieces of evidence he uses for this being a giant is that he says the Kennewick man has a weirdly shaped hand. Very. I mean, I've seen a lot of deformed skulls in my day, and this is one of the most warped I've ever seen. Now, what makes and that so significant? Yeah, so the, well, it's not just the warped skull. He all another more careful examination of the bones also reveals that he has five fingers on his right hand, but no thumb. 
and he has the additional right. uh, uh, bones for a thumb. So he certainly had a thumb, and this would mean that he had six fingers. Six. And that would make him a polydactyl. What is a polydactyl? That's where you have six six fingers on your hand. Is that a common thing that happens to people? It happens to giants. Really? They yeah. have six digits. <laughs> Apparently, giants have six fingers. Now, I think what's happening here is that he's misidentifying one of the fingers. I mean, what, I think he's misidentifying the uh, the finger of this creature as a thumb or of this person right. as yeah, a thumb. Right. Uh, I think that's pretty clearly what's occurring here. And he's backing into what he wants this to be based on you know right. what he's decided it is. So he's like, oh, yeah. that's not a thumb. I mean, that's not a finger. That's, you know what I mean? So when it comes to giants, according to the Bible, apparently they do have weird hands. So let's jump that, into that some actual That part is in the Bible. It's actually in the Bible. The Bible talks about giants' hands. Yeah, let's let's get into that part. Well, I'll tell you where it is common. Is it's common in ancient tradition in relation to uh, narratives regarding these hybridized giant species, like the biblical Nephilim, cross between man and angel, right? The Nephilim, for any who are not familiar, according to the narrative, were the hybridized offspring of uh, uh, non-human uh, beings, angelic beings, if you like. And they interbred with uh, mortals, uh, humans, and they created these uh, gigantic uh, invasive uh, hybrids. And they were lawless and evil and um, uh, uh, cannibalistic. But, Paul, again, in the Christian Old Testament, you can't get those stories about the Nephilim right you they're they're mentioned but that lore isn't in there right that they're hybrids and stuff like that you can extrapolate okay. based on what's in the old testament but you are correct if you're working slowly solely from the canonical old testament either jewish tradition or current christian tradition or even catholic tradition where they throw in some extra books you cannot actually get to what he's getting at with the nephilim being angels that interbreed with humans and then have giants as their offspring you got to go to outer canon mm -hmm. yeah to you gotta go this yeah you gotta go to the book of enoch essentially right that's where right. you're gonna get this now what you can get in the old testament is giants having weird hands that's what i want to hear so from second samuel chapter 21 verse 20 and this is specifically from the nrsv translation there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great size who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. He, too, was descended from the giants. There you go, dude. Just right there. There you go. It's, it is in the Bible. Now, here's I wanted it piece. to be something like, and he had such beautiful hands. <laughs> here's an interesting thing, because if you look at the literal translation of the word they're using for giants, because... Everything is English is going to be a translation of either, you know, ancient Hebrew or Greek. The original Aramaic, Hebrew, Paul, I believe. No, it's it's Greek and Hebrew. Most oh, often. is it? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. The uh, the the New Testament especially was actually written originally in Greek. Right. Um, and it's because right, of what right, the right. elites wrote. Yeah, right. Every, that's what everyone yeah. wrote in. So a literal translation of the original word being used for giants is the word rafa, which is not a word that actually means giant. So rafa is a name... It shows up a few times in the Old Testament, right? And most specifically, it is used earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 3 to refer to Og, king of Bashan, whose bed was nine cubits in length. So scholars typically insert the word giant in place of Rapha to refer to a really tall person. It would be like an NBA player or something, right? Like sometimes you just get a guy that's seven feet tall. Yeah, you can just be a tall guy. Now, an interesting thing about nine cubits, it's roughly 14 feet. So the average queen size bed is almost seven feet. So if you're referring to this guy's bed as nine cubits, it is a very large bed. That's a huge about. bed. Right, right. But it's it doesn't say anything about his actual height. It just says something about the size of his bed. Yeah, it's this extrapolated man, that he's very tall. This man had the biggest bed <laughs> I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. And that becomes giant. It becomes giant. Know? Yeah. Through, through decades and centuries of translation. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you know, scholars attempting to give cultural context 
within the Bible's translation. So that's where right. the NRSV comes into play. It's actually used most common by academics, but they're saying it because they're using this one word, they're actually talking about giants because it's what they would have used to describe them. Mm, got it. Yep. Good, good Bible work on that one, dude. You did a little Bible scholarism there. I told you, I've been getting into uh, biblical textual criticism randomly. So this is something I was actually, I knew where to go for this part. There you go, <laughs> dude. A man of Christ. Yeah, something like that. There is a foundation biblically for what he's saying about the hands of giants, right? Yes. I'm just not sure if he has a foundation with the Kennewick man himself. I love it though, dude. I'm I'm loving the connections. We got six digits on hands and feet. All right. So this makes them ultra powerful, right? All yeah, the exactly. power comes in that sixth digit. Yeah, they, they have one more digit, which allows them to uh, really just beat the crap out of humans, apparently. You have 24 fingers and toes. <laughs> this is incredible. Now, a little more scriptural analysis, Chris. Um, the Book of Enoch is an ancient Hebrew apocalyptic text, but like we said, it's non-canonical. It's not in the Bible uh, for Jews or Christians, right? It's like a, a pure ancient fever dream, right? It is crazy. If you haven't looked it up, you can find translations online very easily. But it's When wild. was it actually written, Paul? So the oldest sections of the Book of Enoch is said to have been written around like 300 to 200 BC. Oh, wow. So pretty old pretty old right it's it's before jesus was around but it, which makes sense because it was an ancient jewish text right but also in comparison to other jewish texts it's actually kind of young right yeah i mean <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure like exodus parts of it are like a thousand years old right yeah and that's a big part of it being an apocalyptic text too because at this time or, a sorry, lot of not a, not a thousand years old a thousand bc yeah uh, one of the things uh, around this time is that a lot of um, Jewish prophets were becoming increasingly apocalyptic, saying that the end of the world was actively coming, which, insert Jesus, that's a lot of what Jesus talked about, right? So that's mm. why a lot of scholars refer to him as an apocalyptic messiah, because he was talking about the impending end of the world. Right. He was he was there to bring heaven on earth. Yeah, exactly. Which was the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So... From the Book of Enoch, which is where you can actually get more information on Nephilim because ain't enough in the Bible to figure it out. Let's so, go to Enoch, dude. Enoch chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. Then they took wives, they referring to angels, each choosing for himself who they began to approach and with whom they cohabitated, teaching them sorcery, incantations, and the dividing of roots and trees. And the women conceiving brought forth giants whose stature was each 300 cubits. These devoured all which the labor of men produced until it became impossible to feed them when they turned themselves against men in order to devour them. Paul, you told us like 12 cubits was like 15 feet. How much is 300 cubits? It's gigantic. This yeah. is basically <laughs> Attack of the Titans, if you're right, familiar yeah. with that anime. <laughs> right. And these things are like a hundred stories tall. Yeah. That's insane. And once they couldn't feed them anymore, they started eating humans as their food. So they're eating. <laughs> so you have these giant, like thousand foot creatures roaming the earth, just gobbling up humans by like whole villages. Yeah, I'm convinced this is where they got Attack on Titan from, because that's the whole plot line of that anime. This is insane. <laughs> this is what this Enoch guy is sitting there talking about in 300 BC. Yeah, and I think that's also why it wasn't included in anyone's version of the Bible, is because it's too crazy. Because everyone's like, yo, this guy is insane. What are the angels doing on Earth? <laughs> just boning ladies? Yeah, they just came down and just were hooking up. Just hooking up, just like, hey, sexy lady, you want to <laughs> know how to palm read? Well, and I, it almost reminds me a bit of like Gnostic Christianity, because Gnostics had a lot more gods 
you know, there's one major god, but there were a lot of minor gods. Basically, it was kind of like it was kind of a bit more, you know, Greek um, polytheist in that way. Right. So this almost feels like that, where it's like kind of bringing in some of. Well, I guess the Gnostics came later, but I think they might have pulled in some of this type of lore, where there was right. a bigger structure. You know, these creatures were coming down to Earth, hooking up with people, kind of like Zeus when he was like a swan or something, and hooked up with a woman. It's, it's much more mystical, right? Mm-hmm. Much more mystical. It would have been a lot more, I imagine, forbidden, too. I mean, just like talking about sorcery and fortune telling and divination was already kind of frowned upon, Mm -hmm. let alone like angels of God having sex with women and creating these hybrid creatures like that's all super crazy stuff. It's out there, dude. This guy, I think, was smoking some some burning bush, if you know what I mean. Yeah, dude. He he had the hashish, and he was eating the mushrooms, and he was going into the caves just huffing <laughs> methane, dude. Just <laughs> huffing methane. So that's some, some history of biblical and non-canonical giants and where they came from. This is all so cool. All right, so we have these ancient giants they're they're teaching they're eating humans they're teaching humans about the dark arts what happened to them they're apparently still here they're still here to this day apparently yeah paul i would imagine it's pretty tough to hide somebody who's 300 cubits tall well you forgot about one thing chris uh the hollow earth oh crap where are they well, well, now you know extinct, no, but relic population, yes. Um, I would say, well, you know, we we have explored less than of all the subterranean cave systems on Earth. We have mapped maybe one percent of them, um, and you know, you, you can also look at, at at theories like Hapgood and 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 Jules Verne discussions about the Hollow Earth. I, I suspect th- their relic population that was nearly obliterated by uh, Younger Dryas event and Homo sapien competition, right, which is where all these conflicts uh, in the narratives come from, David and Goliath, Beowulf and Grendel, yeah. so on and so forth. Paul, funnily enough that he discusses the Younger Dryas, which is, you know, one of my Graham Hancock kicks, the younger dryas impact theory my thought right now is that they were talking about that these were giants of intellect that these were giants in their ability to manipulate the environment around them that they were giants in the understanding of the world right and that's where you get that they were teaching them divination. They were teaching them astronomy, you know, also thought of as astrology, you know, especially in the ancient times, very closely interrelated. You know, I think he even said that the Nephilim were teaching the women how to grow fruits and how to manipulate agriculture. These are all things that would have been brought in by this civilization that was destroyed by this impact theory. Therefore, being giants among men and that these people their offspring with the tribal women would have been new giants right they would have been the new hierarchy that developed in the tribes and so this is the book of enoch telling us like this is where the elites come from so that's that's interesting lore you got there, Chris. You may need to write Graham Hancock because I don't think he's he's written about how giants is a metaphor for the ancient civilization. But that that is an interesting thought for sure. Especially, I, I think the biggest, I mean, obvious downfall of this guy is that he is taking the Old Testament entirely literally, right? right? So and not looking at it as more of a folktale, right? Which it is, right? Yes. And I I think if you look at it as a folktale, like that is an interesting way of of looking at how they're referencing giants for sure because i i truly do believe ancients have always understood metaphor in fact they had to right i mean some of the oldest stories that we have like the aesop's fables those are all allegory those are all metaphors like nobody i believe at the time actually thought 
that a tortoise and a hare had a race in front of a bunch of other animals. Well, and an interesting note on that, too, is that even when they were referring to historical figures, right? So if a person was writing what is essentially a biography of an, of an ancient figure in ancient times, it was assumed that it was not literally true, right? Like today, right. when you read a book on Benjamin Franklin, you're like, you expect everything in that book, unless it says fictionalized at the front to be real you expect these events to have actually occurred and this is actually what's happening back in the day that was not the assumption that was made these types of biographies were actually thought to be a bit more wishy-washy a bit more metaphorical what you're trying to get at is the vibe of the person who they right. were what they were like and not historical accuracy because that that idea just hadn't been created yet right exactly so yeah it's interesting stuff for sure it is now, these giants, especially the ones that may still be around today, Chris, they are cannibals still, which is a bummer. Enoch 7, the biblical text, describes how the uh, the Nephilim uh, took to eating the, the people because they could not be sustained. Wow, if people knew that, they'd be panicking. Maybe that's why the Smithsonian's hiding them. Well, well... Um, uh, you were, you mentioned Politus in, in one of uh, Politus's books, and in, in, in the case that he studied um, uh, a, ra a ranger or, uh, or, or, or uh, somebody confessed uh, that uh, maybe perhaps it was off the record, but said that well they can't announce that there's these people you know these feral people living in caves out here because they can't capture them, and so they're not going to come out publicly and say oh by the way. You know, we know there's some people living in here, but we can't find them, and we have reason to believe they're killing people. Have a nice day. <laughs> right, exactly. Dude, I think Enoch may have been a base chud, dude, talking about, like, <laughs> these ultra-elites who are cannibals, who are literally feeding off the workforce, the life force of these villages, right? just stealing all the surplus and just sitting upon it. And that is cannibalistic. That's that's definitely an interpretation. I don't know if that's what Enoch was getting at. Dude, I think Enoch was a chud, dude. These Jewish apocalyptic prophets were wild, man. It, like, yeah. A, a lot of the um, uh, books of apocalypse that were written have crazy stuff like that. For sure. Because there's a lot of them. There's a ton. Yeah. We only got one in the Bible, but there were a lot that were written and there were a lot that were actually discussed when they were determining the ultimate Bible. There's a couple of pretty crazy prophet books in the Old Testament. I mean, Daniel has some crazy stuff in it. That's I was I guess I was thinking specifically of Revelations, but you're right. There are a lot of prophet books in the, the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. So we 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 got some callers, right? And this, hands down, Chris, was one of my favorite callers. He just wants to make sure everyone comes to Mardi Gras. Hey there, George and Mark. Boy, I got to tell you, Mr. Mark, there's a place called Poverty Point, Louisiana, that has a bunch of Indian mounds, so I hope you'll come to Louisiana. I want to invite all the Coast listeners and callers. We've got Mardi Gras going on, so let the good times roll and throw me something, mister. My question for you, Mark, I'm the God, Guns, and Gold Man, the Bible, Bullets, and Beans Man, and you have a biblical name just like I do, Cornelius. Do you think that we're in the end times and with these uh, different disappearances in the national parks, I think it's demonic also, but they're interdimensional beings and stuff. That is... <laughs> That's an American, dude. I loved that guy's call. I thought it was so funny. Beans, Bible, guns, mud flaps, hot tub, Daisy Dukes. Just come on down to Mardi Gras. And also... <laughs> and these demons are interdimensional. What do you think? I'm telling you, I don't trust them national parks, federal government, demons... Talking about the Smithsonian devil worship. Well, and he goes into a lot of disappearances that happen in national parks and then relates it back to the fact that most caves aren't mapped and there could be, you know, giants living in the hollow earth that are capturing and eating these people. Whoa. 
Oh, so that's what's happening with all these disappearances in the caves. Yeah, you may have thought that it's like people going out to hyper remote locations without the ability to call for help if something happens. It's actually cannibal giants. Cannibal giants coming Mm -hmm. out of the popping their head out of the caves like a little trap door spider. Just come grab you real quick and you never heard from again by the giant cannibals. Man, and you know what's funny? I should have known that this guy was going to bring up the Hollow Earth because a lot of Hollow Earth people bring up giants, but it just caught me so off guard. I was not in that like headspace. And then he's like, well, you know, Jules Verne in the Hollow Earth, probably where the giants are. And I was like, man, they, he got me. He got me. Beans, Bible, booze. In I'm a good fearing Christian man. Well, that is today's episode on giants, Chris, on a scale of uh, one to five hundred story tall cannibal giants. What do you give this story? I don't know, like a two and a half or a three. I liked aspects of it and I didn't like aspects of it. Definitely into the Smithsonian as propaganda. That was incredible. I thought that was great stuff. I'm a little less skeptical about this uh, Machu Picchu man or whatever the heck it was. The Kennewick um, man. The Kennewick man. Yeah. Thank you. Um, not that stuff was not really that convincing. And then I'm kind of really liking my idea that these giants, these Nephilim, are actually remnants of these ancient people talking about the precursor civilization that came and reformed what civilization became. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm totally sold on that idea right now. I'm going to write Graham, tell him, hey, got some some fluff for you. I'm glad that we got to build out your personal lore today. That's always helpful. That always helps. This show has been great for this, dude, because (laughs) there has been some stuff. I still think about the... uh, what was he talking about where the I think it was with talking about Professor Masters talking about the ancient pharaohs and the boat being or like the snake being or oh ancient yeah ancient WMDs the ancient WMD episode yeah yes the and the snake being Mm -hmm. a a wormhole uh, a wormhole and I was just like that was incredible yeah yeah, go check out the ancient WD episode if you if you haven't seen that. But no, those are all really cool pieces. I I'm gonna give this guy a one. And let me tell you why. His entire thing is based on the Smithsonian having all these conspiracies and cover-ups, right? And I listen, I love national treasure as much as the next guy. Right. But this is all based on the foundation that they're hiding giants because they don't want us to think the Bible is real. Right. There is nothing about finding a giant that would prove the Bible is real, to be completely honest, right? Right. There's, you can, there could, I'm fully open to the idea that they were very large, you know, humanoids, right? That's, that doesn't seem impossible to me. Well, and and there were, there were legitimately giant ape men. Yeah. So, you know, and that would also make sense where if there were still some remnants of a large humanoid that, that worked its way into these ancient texts that were written a long time ago, Right. that would all make sense. It doesn't mean that God is real. And it also doesn't like disprove God that they aren't real. Right. So that kind of falls short, especially when you think about a lot of the stuff in the old Testament is based on science, right? Like um, there's a point in Exodus where Moses is talking about, I think it was Exodus. uh, It might've been like numbers or Deuteronomy, but Moses is talking about how, when you go to war, when you come back, you have to stay outside of the camp for seven days. You have to put all of your swords in fire to purify them. And you have to wash all your clothes. That's quarantining for disease right right Right. and that was made before germ theory germ theory is still a thing right and it just adds to like oh that's why they were doing that right right so i don't understand yeah but 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 right but it wasn't germ theory it was you know probably a little bit more mystical and magical than that but at the end of the day that's what you're doing yeah they were quarantining probably because they saw like oh when you come back after going to war you you bring sickness stay outside for a week and then you can come inside the camp Right. So to me, it's one of those things where like a lot of this stuff can be based on real provable science. It doesn't. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's it. Why? Why is there such a big thing against pork in in uh, Judaism and Islam is because it's a very hard meat to cook. Mm -hmm. 
you it's hard to thoroughly cook pork and if you don't you will get sick it's filled with parasites and stuff especially at the time and so it was just it was just like man let's just write down all these little helpful rules and then they became laws over time yeah, because you notice that people are getting sick, so you 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 know create a law to prevent that from happening, right? And it that's, also yeah. apparently smells like human flesh. I've heard that actually. Yes, and so I can see why you probably also wouldn't want that, dude. I think I, I read that somewhere in like a true crime book. How the closest thing you get to human flesh is is pork. Still gonna eat bacon. Yeah, I love bacon. It's it's well, and I know to cook it well. We know right. that now. We know that. <laughs> So that's that's my thought. I think his his foundation doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think that people would be open to giants being real. And I don't think it either proves or disproves God if they are or aren't real. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, what we're saying is uh, giants are a lot like bacon. <laughs> that's what we're getting at. That's the whole point of this podcast. And uh, we're done. We're finished here. Well, that has been the show. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back more next week with our special Q&A episode. All conspiracy, all the time. Later.